Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And today's a part two entitled Detachment, How God Births New Things in and Through You. How God Births New Things in and Through You, Detachment. So I mentioned last week that detachment is a key to dismantling our false selves. And I've been asked, you know, what does it mean to live out of your true self in Christ? So let me just begin with a few qualities of what it looks like to live out of our true self in Jesus, out of which we give a gift to the world. It means being deeply convinced that I'm loved by God and I don't inappropriately borrow that love from other people. And secondly, I live out of a lived experience of God, not simply head knowledge that I spout with my mouth. I'm able to leave my family of origin and then function as an inner-directed adult uh, you know, under Christ. And I'm deeply in tune as well with myself and what's going on internally. Uh, I'm genuinely concerned about the glory of God, not my own. I, I'm a presence in the world that's, as a result, not anxious. I'm not reactive or easily triggered. I'm deeply aware of who I am and who I'm not, much like John the Baptist. I, I'm respectful of authority around me, yet I'm able to speak clearly and respectfully and honestly you know, on my own behalf. And, and I'm able to draw on past successes to and apply them to the present mountains and challenges in, in front of me. And so we, you know, living out of our true selves in Christ means I've really redefined success away from the world's definition. And, and I define success as then radically doing God's will. And have you ever considered that your ministry or team or organization may actually be growing and yet you're actually failing? Because again, success is not numerically growing uh, externally, it's actually radically doing God's will. And we see this in scripture repeatedly, people like John the Baptist, who is, uh, his ministry by no means was always growing. In fact, uh, he started out in a revival and it ended, you know, getting his head cut off and people leaving him. Uh, Jeremiah, the same thing, a 50 to 60 year ministry, uh, spent most of that time rejected uh, by the people to whom he was preaching, uh, was never really popular in his time, uh, and it lasted for decades, some scholars say 50, 60 years. Amos left a, a fruitful ministry in the southern kingdom of Judah, went north to Israel, where he never was responded to uh, well. Uh, so again, by worldly standards, did not look like a success at all. And of course, we have Jesus. Uh, who uh, died with 12 disciples, one whom, whom betrayed him. Uh, then he was down to 11, 120 at Pentecost. But by worldly standards, he did not look like much of a success either. And so success is becoming the person God's called you to be and doing what God's called you to do. And that's how we like to define it in emotionally healthy discipleship, becoming who God's called you to become and doing what he's called you to do. But of course, that's easier said than done, which brings us to our topic today, which is detachment. Uh, because detachment is a key pathway to getting there, to uh, being a success in God's eyes. And again, so new things can be birthed in and through us. Now, in this pandemic pressure reality, there's, a, there's enormous anxiety. Uh, it's global. It's far-reaching. And as one pastor said to me this past week, if this goes on much longer, my church will start unraveling. And... That is a normal feeling. And so our plans and what we considered normal is now gone. Uh, I read recently about a, a magazine that had made predictions uh, at the end of 2019 of what would be happening in 2020. And every single one of their predictions has now proven to show itself false. 
In other words, it's gone. And I, I asked a, a friend of mine who's a church historian, uh, uh, has been for the last 40 years, PhD, and been studying missiology, movements of God through history uh, for his entire life. And I asked him, what's a comparable situation uh, where the church has been shut down like this uh, and God has maybe done something? And he said immediately, he goes, well, probably the most uh, recent example would be the People's Republic of China in 1949, where uh, prior to the communist victory in 1949, uh, it was a huge mission field. And uh, what happened was when the, uh, Mao Zedong took over, all foreign missionaries were expelled as agents of imperialism. And the church went from 5 million believers to somewhere between 70 to 100 million believers. And some would say 50 to 7 million just house church believers. No one knows exactly for sure but way beyond any, anything anyone ever dreamed. And they say, they say China right now is at least 5% of the population is Christian, and that there are more Christians than there are actually Communist Party members. I like what Mark Knoll, another church historian, said. He says, forcing the missionaries to leave was the birth of Christian China. Even though there were tremendous sufferings and momentous persecution, what was left was a Chinese Christianity. And Chinese Christians knew how to do the gospel in China without the missionaries. In a strange way, losing China was how the gospel took root in China. And so again, we see an example where God birthed something that no one ever imagined through uh, a detachment of something everyone was holding onto. And, and so th th this is very challenging to live through as a Christian leader because we've lost control. And which brings me to or this theme of detachment, which is such an important word for us in these days. Now, to imitate Jesus means to be like him in totally surrendering to the Father. I mean, that is Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. And he models that for us as the God-man. And so let me do a little review of last week, and then make, let me make some fresh applications for us here in this part two. Uh, I like what uh, Master e Meister Eckhart had written. He goes, nothing makes us true men and women, but the giving up of our own will. The only perfect and true will comes from entering into God's will and being without self-will. And so this theme of detachment found throughout scripture, he who wants to save his life must lose it. He who loses life for my sake will find it, said Jesus. Meister Eckhart uh, in the late 1200s, early 1300s in Germany uh, was a Dominican scholar, university professor, theologian, monk, uh, brilliant guy. And he, he's done some of, the, some of the best work on detachment. Very difficult to read the way he does his vocabulary, his, uh, his grammar and uh, he was controversial at the end of his life, and uh, you know, history has vindicated him, but um, his work is just is just quite brilliant. So I'm going to draw a bit on it uh, in, in my sharings uh, here. So so look at, if you look at Mary over it against Peter, you see an example of Mary who is detached, the mother of Jesus, versus Peter who is not. Uh, and Mary is, she is the, you know, Eckhart's great model of detachment because she surrenders her will and thus Jesus' birth in and through her. Uh, and uh, that is what God intends for us, that we be emptied of ourselves, we surrender our will, we detach from all externals to do whatever God wants, and thus then God can come, Jesus can come in us and then through us to the world as a gift. And think of Mary with me for just a moment. <clears throat> Mary's got a lot to be afraid of. That's why the angel says to her, do not fear. Uh, she's got her reputation, loss of parents, possible friends, 
ever getting married when this word first comes to her that she's pregnant, you know, financial security. In that day, she would end up becoming a prostitute. Her whole future, now her whole life is going in a new direction. Whatever dreams she may have had with Joseph are now gone. She's a teenager at this point, maybe 14, 15 years old. She's pregnant. It's embarrassing. By Jewish, you know, community law, she would be subject to stoning in a small town like she was born in, maybe 50 to 200 people. And just imagine the gossip she was subject to. And, you know, the Romans did it to her. She was raped or a neighbor did it. And imagine her saying, well, God spoke to me. An angel appeared to me. I mean, she looked ludicrous. Uh, and her family was poor, we know. And uh, they couldn't even afford a lamb when bringing an offering to the temple. Uh, Joseph was a carpenter. He was not a big school, didn't come from money or status. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, when he was Jesus was born and Mary Bertha, she was going to be, uh, you know, shut out of the inn, a very lonely place. And they end up growing up in Nazareth, this country bump, you know, Nazareth's a, a back place, you know, can anything good come from Nazareth? And so for Mary, there was a there was an enormous amount of detachment that had to happen to her as she gave up her self-will. Um, and what an upheaval in her life. But but she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And and complete, utter, you know, obedience. It's a core of surrender. It, gives her will up and and uh, you know somehow the love of God had she was able to see and sense the love of God and, and she surrenders. And the contrast is of Peter who is not detached. And and again at the end of his at the end of Jesus' ministry when uh Jesus is detached, right? He he he's he's he could have called on twelve legions of angels, uh six thousand infantry and 120 cavalry uh is one legion. Okay, Jesus could have called 12 legions to, to, when he was being arrested and taking care of everyone who came and, you know, basically exerted his uh, self-will and uh, not have gone to a crucifixion. Uh, but he is detached, Jesus, right? He's in loving union with the Father. And, uh, but Peter cuts off the ear of the attendant of the high priest. Even though 500 soldiers, they estimate, came to arrest Jesus, but Peter, he just he's just so... Uh, he is so attached to certain outcomes happening that he just pulls out a little sword and cuts off this guy's ear. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible uh, story of the implications of being attached. And uh, like Peter, I have attachments. I'm attached to comfort. I'm attached to earthly success. I'm attached to what people think of me. I mean, Western culture is definitely not the crucifixion. Uh, uh, nothing's going to get in my way. And then I think of my own family messages that I carry. Oh, you're a loser. This is ridiculous. But Peter is intent on having a God after his own image, one that he's created, you know, kind of successfully, upwardly mobile, growing, not a dying God. And that's when Jesus says to him, in, you know, Matthew 16, you have in mind, uh, the th you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of human beings. You have no idea, Peter, how God's working. And uh, I get it, you know, like, like myself, and I think for many of us in leadership, we operate in worldly principles. That's our perspective. And, uh, you know, what should Peter have done? He should have waited. You know, as Jesus is being arrested and 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 surrendered his will, you know, and, and said, "I have no idea what God's doing," but Peter doesn't like suffering, cross, and weakness, and I don't either. And and so he's the other contrast of Mary. So again, this word detachment and and and, and Eckhart, you know, his basic definition is that the way we enter into loving union with God, so we can share in the life of God in and through us, is through detachment, and that. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in this kind of boiling love within themselves, got God within himself, and he boils over that love into creation. And he looks for human beings who will be emptied and surrendered that Jesus might be birthed in and through them. 
And this detachment is not a cold detachment by any means. It's a loving detachment. It's because the goal of all existence is, is, our, is loving union with God, marriage and being one with him, surrendering to the Father, being free of our self-will so he can fill us. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, was Jesus' prayer in John 17. It's this oneness with Jesus, he in me, I in him, us in the Father. But the problem with most of us is we want the world to unfold in a certain way. Uh, and if the world doesn't unfold in a certain way, we're upset. I don't feel good. And so I resist anything that's negative that's coming my way. And we, and we cling to whatever we love. And so our life is one of clinging and resisting one thing or another. And, and even our spiritual practice ends up, you know, I'm doing certain things, uh, going to church, devotion, serving, preaching, because I want to get what I want. I don't want what I don't want. And God's invitation is no, no, no. If you're attached to anything, it's going to, it's going to wreck your life. You're going to lose it because the invitation is to surrender ourselves to him. And so when we cling and resist uh, things happening to us, around us, that God's allowing, we're basically uh, going up against the God of the universe. And to follow Jesus is, quote, uh, Zachary said, to be empty of all created things is to be full of God. And to be full of created things is to be empty of God. And it's not simply, Lord, you know, my will, I surrender to your will. I want our wills to become one. And uh, again, the main problem in the spiritual life is that undetached people are full of self-will. And so our goal is to relinquish all our possessiveness, to, to lose our lives for his sake. And I, and I love this quote, and I'll try to read it slowly because it's so beautiful, then I want to go into our three applications here. And here's how he defines Eckhart, true inner detachment. In it, the spirit stands immovable in the face of everything that befalls it, whether it is good or bad, honor or disgrace, just as a broad mountain stands immovable in the face of a little breeze. Try, try that again. In true inner detachment, the spirit stands immovable in the face of everything that befalls it, whether it's good or bad, so does, again, by earthly standards, whether honor or disgrace, whether someone's praising you or not, it's okay, it doesn't, doesn't impact me that negatively. I'm like a mountain that's immovable in the face of a little breeze. In other words, circumstances externally are not determining who I am. I've got this anchor and center in the love of God such that... Uh, I'm like a mountain. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, and wow. Uh, it, it's a, detachment is abiding in an openness to whatever is unfolding in your life. And right now what's unfolding in our lives is COVID-19. But we're trusting that God is being born in, our, in us and God wants to birth some things through us. And so we're, we're open to what's happening around us. We're not fighting it. We're not cursing it. We're not clinging to anything. We're not resisting anything. We're open. We're, we're surrendering actively to the will of God. And so my one focus is refusing to be defined by circumstances or history, but rather I'm defined by the reality of God's alive and he's pouring out himself and he's birthing something in me moment by moment. Now I know I can't become a mountain where these things are happening, where it's like a, a breeze coming against me, that, but God can. And so I, I can't make myself detached, but I can position myself where God can do a work in me where I'm actually free and able to allow his work in and through me. So here's my three invitations. 
here for this podcast part two for you. Number one, to integrate silence and stillness as core to your prayer life. To integrate silence and stillness as core to your prayer life. In other words, taking adding to your prayer life surrender to God in stillness and silence. And, and in other words, to be truly prayerful is to be detached in a sense of, I don't come to God in prayer to use him. Uh, you know, we, we may say thy will be done, but actually what happens when God's will comes, we're furious uh, because uh, we want certain things. And uh, so we set goals and we go after them. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a believer in intercession. In fact, I, I, was, I was asked by uh, someone this past week, we were talking about silence and stillness. And he says, as a leader, we have a responsibility, he wrote to me, to intercede in prayer, asking from God for things. For those we leave. At the same time, we need to be slowed down and be contemplative, being with God. How do we balance that intercessory prayer necessity with contemplative spirituality, which I'm referring to as silence and stillness and surrender to God? And uh, it's an excellent question. Uh, and I like the word, we want to be detached activists. In other words, we're detached in the sense of we're not in charge of outcomes. We release our attachments to outcomes. We entrust that to Jesus. Yet we, we work towards certain goals. We move ourselves in a certain direction, whether it's church planting, building a ministry, you know, serving the poor. So I've got visions. I've got, I have goals. Uh, the problem is, and this was definitely me in uh, you know, pre-emotionally healthy discipleship, I, I, I was almost in the name it, claim it camp. Uh, you know, all those promises and from Jesus and in scripture, if you ask, you shall receive, you know, knock, the door will be open to you. You know, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed and say to this mountain, move, it will be moved from here to there. And uh, the problem was, it's, and I love those promises and I believe they're all true, but so much of my will was mixed in with those biblical promises that was very confusing. And, and actually <clears throat> a, a lot of it flowed out of my own ambition. So I ended up uh, using God uh, for my purposes. And thank God he said no to so many things I was asking. So that's why to integrate into our lives, silence and stillness is so critical because I want to be surrendering my will to his will and not, not trying to manipulate God, which is what Peter was doing there. And, I, and, and if you're familiar, and if you're not familiar, I want to encourage you to look it up, it, is the discernment process of, of Ignatius of Loyola, 1500s. And uh, his stuff has been adapted over the years and uh, by many, many folks, and it's used in spiritual direction around the world. And it's important work. But he talks about indifference, that if we're going to ask for God's will, we've got to be indifferent, in a sense of indifferent meaning, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to let go of my attachments to any particular outcome. Uh, and so what that's looked like for me and for us in leadership over the years is when we're making a decision, even as a team, uh, we'll do a roll call uh, about to assess how open each of us is to whatever God might say. Let's say, for example, we're going to launch a, a new church or a new service or um, you know, a new initiative. And so to say you're with four or five people on a, on a team, and the question before we actually talk about the decision is let's do an assessment. How open are we to whatever God might say? And so even using, we've used a one to 10 continuum. Uh, one meaning I'm entrenched and I'm committed to a particular outcome. And 10 means I'm totally open to whatever God might want. If you ask that question before you actually discuss an, uh, a decision, uh, that will help you a lot sort out. Uh, and then when you start praying for you know what God wants, it's quite important to sort that out. And so much of my prayer life, and, and, and again, this began in 1996, 
but the huge, gigantic shift was, oh, I need as I integrated silence and stillness, it was a game changer because I, I realized so much of my ministry and leadership was my will. Uh, it wasn't detachment from whatever outcome. It was, no, God, I need, we're planning churches here. I need leaders. Uh, I need buildings. I need money. Uh, I need all kinds of things. And so I had a long intercessory list. And I, and I think for many of us, and again, even in, in our, our intercession life is way overbalanced and we don't, uh, uh, and way out of whack to integrating silence and stillness in our lives. And the way of Mary is the way of surrender. You know, Lord, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you have said. And that's why learning silence and stillness is so key. So Eckhart, along with so many writers over the last 2,000 years, talk about the importance of integrating silence and stillness as part and core to our prayer life, as a contemplative element in our prayer life. So let me invite you. We have a new resource that we've developed and that we're releasing uh, with this podcast uh, and it's a it's a daily office that I developed many years ago uh, to help people just get started. It's got a morning, midday, and evening, and it's it's one little yeah, you know, it's one sheet you can download it on your phone. Um, and I I carried it around for years and had other people carry it around for years to help them get started in stopping to be still and silent before the Lord and surrendering to God. Uh, and so you can print it out and download it on your phone. Let me encourage you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office. That's emotionallyhealthy.org daily office. It's a free resource. And again, one of our goals here in Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast is to provide free resources to help you get going and moving on your journey with Jesus. All right. So the first invitation is to in, in, integrate more intentionally and more deeply silence and stillness and surrender as core to your prayer life. And I believe this COVID-19 pandemic is an invitation for us as leaders uh, and as Christ followers to deepen uh, the time we spend in silence and stillness and surrender to him. Because God is saying a message to all of us, which is he's in control or not. But the second is related, which is we surrender and detach to the dark ways of God. We surrender to the dark ways of God. Now I'll explain what dark ways of God means. God is so much bigger than us. And, and one of the subtlest idols we can worship is, the, is, is Im, our image and ideas of God. Uh, and if anything, we, we realize, you study people like Abraham and Moses and the 12 disciples and people's journey is um, that we have these images of who God is and how he works that are just wrong. And... Uh, Eckhart, along with others, reminds us that, that to really know God, we must recognize our unknowing, that what we don't know, and that the spiritual life consists of withdrawal of projections. We, we project our unfinished business onto God. And, uh, you know, just as Freud talked about, obviously, in the you know, 20th century, that so much of religion is projection. And there's some, there's some truth in that. Uh, in fact, when we first come to Christ, we've got all kinds of projections and illusions, and, and and God uses that, right? It's not like it's a waste of time, but but we've got to mature and grow up that God's ways are bigger than ours and uh, uh, higher than our ways, and and uh, there is a journey of of those being dismantled so we can know the largeness and and I'll call it the dark ways of God. Just again, just think of the twelve disciples, what they had to unlearn from when they first started following Jesus through the end. I mean, Judas quit. He didn't want to do it anymore. He didn't like the God he was encountering in Jesus and this crucifixion. I think of the Israel in the wilderness uh, as well. Remember, there are no words or concepts 
of God that are adequate to the reality of who God is. We, we can't fathom his final purposes. We can't control God, manipulate God, pin him down, or predict him. He is unfathomable. God doesn't work for you. He loves you and he's for you, but he doesn't work for you. He's not your assistant. Uh, he is not like any of the finite, limited things we know. Even when we say God is good, God is love, God is Father, absolutely. But he, but what that even means, he, he is good in a way we could not even imagine a goodness or, or, or love. We get these glimpses. I, I love the story of Thomas Aquinas at the end of his life. He was the greatest theologian of the Middle Ages. He's written volumes and volumes of uh, you know, theology. But he had, this, he had this vision. God came to him at the end of his life. Uh, and he had this encounter with God that completely changed him, and he couldn't write any longer. He stopped writing about God, and he says, everything I've written is straw. You can burn it, uh, because he'd seen something of God that no words he could possibly write could ever capture, and that's why when some people quit God, they actually are getting closer to the real God, because the God they're quitting was it's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that God has revealed himself in Scripture. They're rejecting the limited images of the God they had in their head, which really were idols. That's why Augustine wrote, if you understand it's not God, you understand. Most of the time, we have no idea what God's doing. What appears like a blessing and success often ends up being a terrible thing. What appears like a terrible thing often ends up being a, a rich blessing. And I can honestly say to you, the more I know about God, the less I know him. And, and many have written about uh, Moses' journey uh, of knowing God. Gregory of, Gregory of Nyssa is one of the great ones. Uh, but you know, God comes to Moses in Exodus 3 in light in a burning bush. Then God leads Moses into the desert where he reveals himself in a pillar of cloud by uh, by day and fire by night. And so he sees a mix of God and a mix of light and a mix of darkness. And then God leads him into the thick darkness of Mount Sinai where God speaks to him face to face. And so it's this, he, he leads him into thick darkness, you know, and it's quite fascinating. And, and so all the scriptures that refer to God, for example, in Psalm 18, he made darkness his covering. That God comes to us in darkness and that he's beyond us. We, he, he's greater than us. And, 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 and it's the nature, this is an Eckhart quote, it's the nature of God to be hidden in revelation and revealed in his hiddenness. It's the nature of God to be hidden in revelation and revealed in his hiddenness. And so I love scripture. He says there's two sides of the same coin. Uh, we know him and don't know him. That's why the priority of silence, one must be emptied to be filled. So, and then thirdly, his third application, and let me close with this. We want to integrate a deep being of surrender in all of our doing. We want to integrate a deep being of surrender in all of our doing for God. Uh, so, so a journey inwards for Eckhart always resulted in a journey outwards. In other words, uh, our, our being with God in silence and stillness must move out into a doing for God, but the goal is that we're active for God out of a deep place of detachment and surrender. Uh, interesting story, the Beguines, they were called, I think I'm saying it properly, B E. G-U-I-N-E-S. In the 13th century, there was a uh, there was a movement of women in particular, and, and some men, but mostly women, called the Beguines. And uh, at that time, uh, church, uh, to join a religious order, you had to pay a dowry to the convent. And most people did not have a dowry uh, to get in the convent. And, and they, were, they were forbidding the Pope all new religious orders. And so this movement of women uh, kind of emerged in communities called the Beguines. And they basically, these were folks who didn't take any formal vows. 
Uh, they maintained their households, often were married, etc. And 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 they were in, they were like contemplatives, but they were involved with the sick and the dying and the poor. They were outside the monastery serving. They were kind of like they they were pre-Reformation, living the Reformation. And Meister Eckhart actually became a spiritual director for one of these communities. And when you read his writings, when he writes to uh, when he speaks to these nuns and uh, monks behind cloistered walls, he's rebuking them because they're spending all this time in prayer, but they're not active for God. Uh, they're they're Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Uh, but they're not doing anything, and he considers that that is not God's will. And I just love his writings about this issue of integration. We want to be integrating the contemplative into our activity. One of the the, the great gift of many you know, of evangelicalism is our is mission, is activity. We it's a wonderful thing. We want to go out there and bring Christ to the world, but we want to do it from a deep place of surrender and detachment to outcomes. We want to be deeply open and committed to the will of God like Mary. We want to float on the river of God's love wherever it takes us and not be fighting and pushing up river exhausted, never trying, never getting to where we want to go. But we want to float down that river of love, surrendering to him. And that is my prayer for you. Uh, that is my prayer for you. And that is my prayer for me as we are in this unique season uh, that God's kingdom will come and as will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that you and I would be detached, surrender to all outcomes, but only one thing that we want, and that is God and his will. So again, let me invite you here uh, to the uh, new resource on our website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash dailyoffice, emotionallyhealthy.org slash dailyoffice. And uh, you can print it out or download it onto your phone. And it's a new resource to help you pause to be with God in the rhythms of the daily office. Uh, and, you know, instead of spending so much time and energy planning, thinking, worrying, trying to stay ahead and losing touch perhaps with God inside of us, let's slow down all of us in a perhaps a more significant way so that God might be birthed in and through us in fresh ways. Thank you, everybody. It's been great to be with you. And uh, may you have a wonderful day. God bless you.